0: God Bless America, The Theology of the Fourth of July.
1: The most important sentence is probably the one that says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. So that idea that all men have certain inalienable rights that that they that came from their creator god
0: is what what i call the theology of the fourth of july this is beliefs i'm bill baker independence day gives us another opportunity to reflect on the ideological tug of war of religious freedom in america the declaration of independence is our topic today what can we make of the four references to god in the text our guest is author and academic iris Stoll. He's also the managing editor of Education Next, published by Harvard's Kennedy School of Government. Ira Stoll joined Beliefs producer Jay Woodward from his office in Boston.
2: Ira Stoll, thank you for joining us here on Beliefs. Good to be here. We've asked you here to revisit an article that you wrote for Time Magazine called The Theology of the Fourth of July. I was hoping you could just tell us a little bit about what that idea was and its genesis. Sure.
1: Well, the reason that uh, we Americans aren't working on July 4th, but instead are out barbecuing or watching fireworks or flying flags and enjoying the day, is that 243 years ago in Philadelphia, there was issued the Declaration of Independence, which made the colonies separate from Great Britain. In this article about the theology of the 4th of July, I pointed out that that declaration mentions God four times. And the most important sentence is probably the one that says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. So that idea that all men have certain inalienable rights that that they that came from their creator god is what what I call the theology of the 4th of July
2: the text of the declaration of independence mentions god but it it mentions god in in kind of oblique ways as you said there were four instances There's also laws of nature and nature's God, also referring to divine providence. And then something slightly more Old Testament-y, there's a reference to the supreme judge of the world. Why was it important to not just use God, but to use these more oblique terms? Well,
1: I guess there's two questions there, right? One is the choice of term, and the other is, you know, why mention it at all? On the why mention it at all question, a later American founding document, the Constitution does not mention God, even in in the terms that we talk about. I mean, there's a First Amendment talking about a free exercise of religion, and it says there should—in the body of the Constitution, it says there should be no religious tests required for any office under the Constitution— but the conception of rights in the Constitution is more of a, a Madisonian conception in which rights are created by compact. The Declaration's conception of rights is a different conception. It's a it's a divine right, um, that the, these rights come from God and from the Creator. And to me, that's actually a more powerful conception because— those rights then become impossible for any man to take away. Uh, If the rights come from God, only God can take them away. And if the rights come from the government, like, say, they come from the king of England, then it's hard for people to complain when the government takes them away. So I actually think the the divine right conception of gods, of rights, is actually a stronger conception— now it has its problems because it's you can't ask God like, well, what exactly did you mean by that, right? And is slavery one of those rights or not? I mean, you're stuck with um, you're stuck with the Bible or you're stuck with people's interpretation of the Bible, and and you know it's a problem how to apply those rights to people who may not believe in God, so so it can create some problems. But the upside of it is it's very inspiring, and it's, you know people are willing to fight for what they see as rights that come from God, perhaps even a way that they might not be willing to fight for rights that they see as just coming from a law that, that men agree to. It's like the difference between fighting for a contract and fighting for religious belief you know the reason that that a lot of these people were in fact devout christians uh, not all of them but but a lot of them and and they had a serious biblical conception that 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 all men were created in god's image
2: that's where the theology of the origin of of america starts to intersect with a, a modern day as we try to parse out What is the difference between a civic government and a government that involves some kind of idea of the divine? We can look at the abortion conversation. We can look at recent decisions at the Supreme Court. In fact, just uh, this week, there was a a decision handed down about um, the Bladensburg Cross in Maryland that a, a large... Uh, memorial cross from World War I, even though it is the preeminent symbol of Christianity, it takes on a more secular role. The intersection of the way God enters the American morality seems to be a conversation that uh, we're getting no closer to finding uh, peace and reconciliation between all of our people with. Is it possible that we're truly going to find answers for that? in places like the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, which studiously avoids mention of God?
1: Right. Well, I think the founding documents are an important place to go, Uh, both the Declaration and the Constitution. That cross case that you mentioned does turn on the the First Amendment to the Constitution, which, in the way it deals with religion— has, has two pieces. It, it has an establishment clause and a free exercise clause. So it says Congress shall make no law establishing a, an official religion of the whole country. But it also says that Congress should make no law interfering with people's free exercise of religion.
2: Those seem to be at odds with each other.
1: Yeah, well, there certainly can be intention with each other. And the court's interpretation of the test of what constitutes an establishment and, and what's an impermissible interference with free exercise has certainly evolved over time. Um, so stuff that used to be common, like school prayer, um, is now illegal. Uh, even the Pledge of Allegiance, uh, where there's a reference to one nation under God, people have a right to opt out of that. So yeah, uh, we fight over that, and we're continuing to fight over it. I will, I will say that if you compare it to other countries, we fight about it here in the context of a country that that people are more religious. Even if there's been a sec, uh, general trend towards modernity with the rise of science and 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 modernity, uh, Americans are much more religious than than. People in many Western European countries say where there is an established church. So um, I, I think people have have thought that getting the government out of the religion business has has s- created a, a stronger competition among private churches and synagogues and mosques that has enabled religion to really flourish in America. In places where, in contrast to places uh, that don't have that real freedom of religion and separation of, of church and state, uh, official church and state, yeah.
2: I want to take it back just a little bit. Talk to us about what was the landscape and the ecosystem when, when the Declaration of Independence uh, was signed and released? So
1: the religious landscape then as now was really a diverse one and the different colonies had different religions. New England had a lot of Congregationalists, Protestant Christians. Philadelphia had Quakers, and Maryland had Catholics. Virginia, the the Anglican Church or the Church of England, was was what we now call Episcopalians, uh, was very strong there. Uh, George Washington uh, was affiliated with that church. And there was also a trend towards something called deism, uh, this idea of God as a kind of uh, remote watchmaker uh, that that strongly influenced, say, Thomas Jefferson, who who created his own Bible with d- references to to Jesus uh, cut out, and they deliberately chose uh, Anglican clergymen to deliver the opening prayer at this Continental Congress, in part because they wanted to, to show that it wasn't just a Congregationalist rebellion against England, but that they did want to um, keep it open in terms of the religious diversity. And, you know, I think that could be one reason, to go back to your earlier question, why they did choose more general terms to talk about God the, this idea of the creator and so I think that's actually a um, it's not a step back from from religion. it's a very it's a core belief of this this idea of a, of a creator God and it 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 goes to this notion of equality um that's proved to be a And a really powerful and revolutionary idea that's still inspiring people all over the world today Um, and that we're still striving to achieve.
2: There's something interesting about what you were saying right at the beginning of this conversation where you pointed out – this first sentence in the second paragraph, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. This seems to be a document that describes certainly the foundation of the United States of America, and we look to this as, as, a, as a beginning for us, but they're not just talking about all men in America, are they? This is a declaration of independence for everyone, which is not always... What people think about when it comes to this document.
1: That's right. I mean, it says all men, and here in America, we gradually uh, increase that to include women. Uh, obviously, the status of American Indians and of of uh, Black Americans uh, became and was contentious, but it doesn't. It doesn't say all. Colonists, it doesn't say all men in the American colonies or all, all men in the British colonies of North America. Uh, it says all men. And so, uh, you know, I would argue that would include the people in Hong Kong who've been uh, in the streets rallying for freedom. It included the French revolutionaries who. Uh, who took to the streets against the French monarchy shortly after the American Revolution, um, includes the people who fought to overthrow the Soviet Union, included some of the people in the, in the Arab spring, uh, movement. Uh, so, so people, people read this document who are not just people here in America. It's, it's a, it's a document that, um, that really has inspired people around the world uh, the same way that, that the Bible has.
2: I guess my final question would be, um, where does this take us? How do we continue to refer to these origins and, and also take us into what we hope to be further peace and pluralism?
1: Right. Well, so this was a debate that was very much alive at the time. Uh, it was a it was a debate that Samuel Adams and John Adams, both of whom signed the Declaration of Independence, uh, had. Um, and I write about it in in the biography of Samuel Adams that I wrote, Samuel Adams: A Life, and and John Adams asked Samuel Adams whether he thought that. Uh, that savages could, could govern themselves or, you know, were fit for liberty. And Samuel Adams said, yes. And John, John Adams was a little more skeptical about it. Um, And so, you know, even though there is this statement in the declaration about um, all men being created equal and all men having certain inalienable rights it's an aspirational statement, and the speed at which uh, all those rights will be taken up and, and everyone will actually have full access to those rights is something that you know we've been a little bit uncertain about going back to the early days of the Republic. I, I think um, those rights are more widely exercised now than they have been— uh, at at many times in the past, I mean, between the 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 internet, the fall of the Soviet Union, um, the advance of freedom and democracy around the world, but it's not a one way street, and certainly there's there's still we have a long way to go before we're at the point where everybody has full political rights and everybody is is treated equally, uh, not just men, but also women um, and, and people of color, and both in America and around the world. So I think the story of the, of the almost 250 years since the Declaration of Independence has been the story of people gradually working to advance that vision that's laid out in that document.
2: Ira Stoll, thank you for joining us on Beliefs.
1: My pleasure. Happy July 4th.
2: Happy 4th of July to you, sir.
0: Our guest was the author and editor, Ira Stoll. The conversation continues on our Facebook page, and we tweet at Beliefs Podcast. If you like our program, come review us on iTunes. Beliefs is brought to you with the support of of the Bernard L. Schwartz Center for Media, Public Policy, and Education at the Graduate School of Education at Fordham University. Jay Woodward is our producer. The theme music is by Edward Billis. I'm Bill Baker. Thank you for listening and tell a friend.